Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in your Son, Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit and grant us that reverence and humility without which no one can understand your truth. Through that same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, let me start by asking you a question. Have you ever been in the dark? Have you ever been in the dark? As a child, we went on holiday uh, somewhere in North Wales, and uh, I remember distinctly going on the steam railway called Blynau Festiniog, and then being taken down some slate caverns that I believe were pronounced Chlechwed, or something like that, the Chlechwed Caverns, slate mine tour. And you go down this, this tunnel that looks like this, hundreds of feet underground, until at the bottom, the tour guide turns and explains that whole families used to work digging this slate out in the Victorian times and sending it up on a cart so it could be sold for slates, for slate roofs. And then he says, in a minute, I'm going to turn my lamp off. And he has an old Victorian miner's lamp. And he says, when I turn this off, you won't be able to see the hand in front of your face. And I remember as a young child, when he turned the light off, going like this. And it was true. It was as black as night. And you couldn't see a thing. Darkness. Or as a young child, waking up at night, in the dark, maybe in a strange house. I remember doing this one time. I woke up knowing, feeling the call of nature and knowing that I had to get to the bathroom pretty quick and stumbling out of the bed in a strange house and I couldn't find the doorknob. Sort of feeling around and it was getting more and more urgent. I couldn't find it. I was feeling all these things. I could feel the wall and feel the bookcase. I couldn't find the doorknob and I started to panic. And then I thought, I'll turn the light on. I started feeling around. I couldn't even find the light switch. It's getting really, really urgent. Finally, I found it and clicked it on. And the light came on and I could see. And my brother was scratching his eyes saying, what are you doing? Relief. We need light. We need light for all sorts of reasons, but we especially need it so that we can make sense of our lives and make sense of the world we find ourselves in. You know the expression, I've been kept in the dark. I've been kept in the dark. It means you've not been given enough knowledge or understanding. Or the expression, the lights came on. I had a light bulb moment. The lights came on. It means I was in the dark, but then I gained insight. I gained understanding. I gained the knowledge that I needed. Or the great word, enlightened, which means to receive greater knowledge or understanding. Now, the Gospel of John was written so that we may believe in Jesus Christ and that by believing we may have life in his name. This is the key to the whole book. We find it at the back door in chapter 20. John says, I wrote the book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is going to present Jesus to us as we go on this journey through the book. And he's going to present him, not just for mere data and facts and history lesson, but so that you may have life in his name, in his person, through him. That's a promise. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will have life. Life in all its fullness, and life that is really, really good, and life that actually doesn't have an end, an eternal life a life of beauty and truth 
and goodness. That's the hope. And John's book starts with a majestic introduction. He starts, he takes us right back, way, way back, even before the beginning of creation. And he tells us that somebody called the Word made the world with God. That this person called the Word was with God right back at the beginning, but he also was God. And so he introduces some mind-bending, language-straining kind of concepts. That this person who was with God and was God made everything that has been made. He spoke the universe into existence. And John says that everything was made through this mysterious word. And the word's human name was Jesus. In other words, Jesus is fully God. Everything that God is, Jesus is. But also that he's come to be one of us, fully human. And having started his book with this grand introduction, the opening bars of a great symphony, John then quickly tells us that this word, this Jesus, is the true light. Just read with me again verse 4. There was a, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. You see what he's saying here? Jesus Christ is the true light, and this light has come into our world. Now, just imagine you're standing on the brink of a great darkness. It's so dark you can kind of feel that the room you're in is cavernous and huge. Maybe you're standing on a cliff uh, in, the, in the night, and it's a dark night. You can't see anything. You can feel the wind blowing, and you're there, and it's, it's a kind of immense darkness around you and you're looking out and you don't know how far down it is, you don't know how far up it is and you're in this darkness and then in the dim distance you see right up there, just over there faintly, a dim light that's traveling, it's moving down and as it comes forward it gets brighter and brighter and closer and closer and it's moving at speed and you're thinking, what is that? Is it a satellite or a falling star? No, it's moving too strangely for that. And as it comes down, what is this thing? And as you watch, this light comes and gets closer and closer. And finally it lands. You see its resting place. And you see it's not extinguished by the darkness. But it's there. It's pulsing and warm and bright. And it starts to pulse out and beam out and to enlighten the world around it. And you feel drawn to it. You want to go near it. Now John says here that Jesus Christ was like that. He left his home in heaven and came on a great journey. And he came to a dark world to bring the true light. And the darkness has not overcome him. Now, what does this image that he uses of Jesus, this light, Jesus is the true light, what does he really mean? In John's gospel, light means understanding, knowledge, insight, that you see things as they really are. The lights come on. You can see it. Not just data and facts and information, but real insight into what our lives are really all about. And where we're going and the meaning and what God is really like. And that's the kind of light that we seek. Every human being on this planet seeks it, wants it, whether they know it or not. 
History reveals in, in, in Europe we had a period called the Enlightenment, where it was said that the, uh, the darkness of the medieval period was being rolled back and we would get to the truth at last. Or in more recent times, spiritual guides who've come to this country from other places, bringing promises that they and they alone can bring you the light. My, one of my uncles was involved in the 60s and 70s in a, a movement with a guru. And the movement was called the Divine Light Mission. This young guru came from India and promised that he would be able to give you transcendental light. We want it. We need the lights to come on to see things as they really are. And John says Jesus Christ is the true light. We need him. Now, I've got three things to say here, three uh, things I think we learn about this true light here in John. Firstly, light has been revealed, light has been rejected, and light has been received. Light revealed. In the film Stardust Memories, Woody Allen plays a filmmaker, uh, which probably wasn't too difficult for him, seeing as he is a filmmaker. And he, in, the, in the movie, he encounters some aliens, and they're, they're there, and he, he realizes he's got this moment to speak to an extraterrestrial being about life. And he decides he's going to take his moment and ask some of the really big questions of life. So he says, um, let me just ask you, why is there so much human suffering? And there's a pause. And then the alien says, well, that's unanswerable. Okay, yes. Okay, uh, well, look, is there a God? And the alien replies, these are the wrong questions. So thirdly, he says, look, here's my point. If nothing lasts, why am I bothering to make films or do anything for that matter? And the aliens reply, we enjoy your films, especially the early ones, which were funny. So he doesn't get the answers that he's wanting. Now, if you're here today and you're looking into Christianity and you're, you're inquiring, you're seeking to the truth, uh, those are not the wrong questions. They're exactly the right questions. Is there a God? Why is there so much suffering? You know, why bother to do anything in life? Those are the questions you really need an answer to. And I want to just speak to you for a moment and tell you the difference between Christianity and every other religion. One of the great differences is this. Religion has been defined as man searching for God. Human beings searching for God. And all the great religions and all the little ones are really a quest, a search for God. But Christianity is different. Because in the, in the Christian message, the direction of travel is reversed. It's not us searching for God. God is seeking us. God seeks men and women, boys and girls, and shows himself to us, reveals himself as he really is, and he draws near to us. And we see this in this reading today. The light is revealed. Look at verses 9 and 10. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. See, Jesus comes to be near us. We haven't just got a book with inspirational ideas and thoughts about God. We've got God himself come as one of us to reveal what he's really like. And this message, this light, is for everyone. Every man, woman, and child on the planet. It's not localized and particularized to sort of certain cultures or certain time periods. It's for everybody. The light of Jesus is universal. 
It's intended to illuminate our minds. Never goes out of date. And when this light comes into a human life, it transforms people. It changes them, regardless of who they are or what they've done in their past. Now, this light also, notice, is revealed through a witness. Have a look with me again at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Now, this John is elsewhere introduced in the Bible as John the Baptist. He's not the same John who wrote the book we're reading. John the Baptist, we learn elsewhere, preached out in the desert, out in the wilderness. He wore a garment made out of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. He was a wild, hairy kind of a guy. Any of you who know David Eisner, he sort of probably looked a bit like him. In other words, he looked like the kid who's forgotten his PE kit. And the PE teacher made him go to the back of the gym and find whatever he could wear down there. And all he can find is some animal skins made out of camel's hair. And he comes out looking really funny. And then this guy is forced onto the paleo diet. Locusts, wild honey, stuff that cavemen probably ate. Now notice what our text says about this John the Baptist. No mention at this moment of him baptizing anyone. It says here that John's main job, his main function, was as a witness. Verse 7, a witness. He came to bear testimony. Like all those law court police dramas you've seen, you know, when they call the witness to the stand and they make them swear on the Bible, I'm going to testify the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And then they speak their testimony. John's job was to be a witness about Jesus. He was to testify what he'd seen and to proclaim the truth about who Jesus was. Now, I've been thinking about this all week and struggling with it, really. And here's my problem. Why does Jesus need the testimony of John? Jesus is the true light. He's awesome. He spoke the world into being. He created the universe. Couldn't he get along quite well without the assistance of John the Baptist? Why does Jesus need this introduction? He's quite able to speak for himself. And I think the answer to the question is this. Not that Jesus needs a witness, but that we do. We need a witness. I need a witness. I need somebody like me who can affirm the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, in the great history that the Bible tells us, the story of salvation, John the Baptist is unique. He's a major figure. He's the greatest of all the prophets. He saw Jesus for who he was. He cleared the way, and he prepared the people, and he announced the coming of Jesus. He was a great herald. But that's probably not the main witness to Jesus that you have, is it? I take it that none of us here have actually had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. But we have had a witness. We've had a witness. Somebody in your life who affirmed the truth of Jesus and his message. Perhaps for you it was a school friend. A friend who, there was something different about them. They went to a youth group at a church. You decided to go along with them. You found the truth about Christ through that friend. They were a witness. Perhaps for you it was a colleague or a neighbor 
Maybe it was a friend, a course mate, somebody you studied with. Maybe it was a family member, your, your brother, your sister, your gran. Maybe it was your parents. You've had a witness. And I would be prepared to bet that every, everyone in this room today has had a witness in their life about the truth of Jesus. Somebody bore you witness. Somebody affirmed the, the truth of this message to you. And perhaps many, many people have borne that kind of witness to you over the years. Well, thank God for those witnesses. If ever I doubt, I look back at the long trail of witnesses who've affirmed the truth to me over the years, and I praise God for them. They've affirmed it with their words, but more than anything, they've affirmed it with their lives. People have been witnessing the truth about Jesus to me since I was in the cradle. Parents, family friends, youth leaders, mates, pastors, authors, my spouse, the local church. And seeing your lives and your transformed lives and hearing you speak the word to me helps me keep going on this journey home. You're a witness if you're a Christian. Thank God for witnesses. And thank God for that first in the great line of witnesses, John the Baptist. And do not forget their testimony. Don't forget their lives. And don't fail to be a witness yourself if you are a follower of Jesus. Light has been revealed. He came to our world as one of us. Witnesses have affirmed his message and his existence. It has come to us. We didn't have to seek him out on a long and elusive quest. Jesus came for us. But you know, secondly, and really, really perversely, light has not only been revealed, light has been rejected. It's been rejected. Look at verse 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Wow. The creator of the world came, and people said, who's he? I haven't seen him around here before. A little bit like our missions partner, Daniel Raju, works in North India. He goes uh, knocking from door to door around villages and says, hello, I I've come to tell you about Jesus. Have you heard of him? And they say, no, not heard of him. He must be in the next village. Now, how can this be that, that the light comes to the world but is not welcomed, not recognized, not received? John doesn't give an explanation here, but he does give uh, some hints later on in his book. If you turn over a couple of pages to chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, he unpacks... A verdict. Chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Theologians talk about the effect of the fall of Adam and Eve Adam and Eve were created in a perfect, harmonious relationship with God, and everything went wrong in, in the Garden of Eden. And theologians talk about what happened to our nature after that, that none of us since then has been born a kind of blank slate. We've all been born biased. We've all been born spiritually deformed, spiritually dead. We've all been born actually with a kind of inbuilt rebellion against God. We're all actually by nature allergic to God 
and we don't want him in our lives. We prefer the darkness. The dark world actually wants to stay just as it is. Now, do you realize that people, your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, they're not religiously neutral. They don't approach Jesus uh, as a blank canvas. There's an inbuilt bias against God. Our hearts are allergic to him. So we should not be surprised if people are disinterested, if they try and dismiss or sideline questions of faith, if they're actually actively hostile. We should not be surprised for one moment. And perhaps you, friend, are here this morning and it was a struggle for you even to get here. Perhaps something inside you was kicking and squirming and resisting the thought of hearing the Bible and seeing Christians and singing songs and all of this stuff. You, maybe you, this morning you started out with all the reasons you wanted to stay away. Perhaps it's a miracle that you made it here at all. Anybody like that? Perhaps you know deep down in your heart of hearts that you are kicking and fighting against the light. You don't want to change. You want to be captain of your own ship, the master of your own destiny. And the Bible says we all have an innate, built-in, DNA-wired awareness of God, but that we actively suppress it. We push it down, we squish it, and deny the truth that we're aware of. By nature, we prefer the darkness, we reject the light. And so the word of God, Jesus, the true light, was rejected by the world. He came to his own, the world he'd made, and his own did not receive him. He was not even welcomed by Israel, who'd had all the promises and all the scriptures and all the covenants. Now, that's pretty gloomy, isn't it? But I'd rather light a candle than curse your darkness. There's hope here, wonderful hope, because the third point, in spite of light being rejected, is that also light is received. Verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, some people, it seems, received Jesus. They heard the witness. They saw Jesus for who he was, and they believe in his name. That means they trust him, follow him, believe him. Accept him, welcome him. Now, in view of everything we've just said about the dark world and our nature being against God and, you know, and how allergic we are, how on earth does this happen? Is it just that some people are just more sensitive or more virtuous than others? Well, actually, no, far from it. If you look at what the text says in verse 13, he really deliberately rules out any kind of uh, advantage that we might think we have of ourselves. These children of God are born not of natural descent, so you can't be a, a, a Christian just because your parents were or your grandparents. There's no, there's no uh, natural descent here, nor of a human decision or a husband's will. So it's not as if there's anything in our human res- decisions and responsibilities and human influence that means we can be born of God. It's literally that you, God himself gives you new life. It comes from him. The only way that we get to receive God is if he gives us new birth. So we need God to change our hearts if we're ever to want him, if we're ever to receive him, if 
forever to love him. Now, you do have responsibility in this. And yes, you must make a thoroughly informed choice about whether to follow Jesus or not. But you know what? The longer the life of faith goes on, the more I've realized this. I only chose him because he chose me first. I only love him because he woke that love up in my heart. I'm only persevering now because he won't let me go. Born of God. And having received the light, the light has come, he's made the journey, here it is. You receive the light, what do you get? What's the outcome of believing in Jesus? I want to finish on this point. Verse 12, look at this again. What does he give you? To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave you the right to be a child of God. Now, here's a, a picture of John F. Kennedy, who was the president of the United States at the time. This is in a photo taken in the Oval Office of Kennedy sitting at his desk. Well, not his desk, the president's desk. It's called the Resolute Desk. It's made out of the wood of an old warship called the Resolute. And uh, many presidents have sat at this desk and worked the most powerful man in the world at that time. You couldn't just walk in to the Oval Office and have a chat and a coffee with John F. Kennedy. Most people never got near him. And yet here is John Jr. There he is, peeking out from under the desk, under the president's desk, in the heart of power. And he's thinking, he may be everyone else's president, but he's my dad. And he has every right to go in there and hang around with his dad and mess things up on the desk and tug on his sleeve. Can I have some sweets? And all the things that kids do. I was working this morning preparing my message, and as happens every Sunday morning, a tousle-haired boy appeared at the, uh, the door where I was working and made some demands on me. In this case, it was our youngest boy, Ben. And what does he want? He wants to watch the bees. The bees is this cartoon that he's got into called The Hive. And so I'm like, okay, I've put my work down. I go and put him in the sofa and put the TV on and the bees comes on, and it was a bit loud, so I tried to sneakily turn down the, the sound because I didn't want to wake the, the other kids up. And as soon as he sees I'm turning the sound down, he pulls a face like this. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, okay, I'll, I'll put it back up again. There we go. Back to work. He's got the rights of a child. He's got the rights of my child. He doesn't worry about whether he's interrupting me at a critical moment in sermon preparation. He's a child. He wants to see his dad. And then he comes. Now, what this passage says is that Jesus comes to give you the right to become children of God. Now, just think about that for a moment. That is mind-blowing. Not just to get on good terms with God. Not just to be your, your sins dealt with and forgiven. Not just to be a subject in God's kingdom, which would be great in and of itself. Not actually to be a friend of God, but to be a child, to be God's child. That's what Jesus has come to give us. 
the right to become children of God with all of the affection that that entails. God looks on you. If you're a Christian, if you've been bought with Jesus' blood, he looks on you with the same affection that he looks on Jesus Christ. With all the security, you know, God is never going to disown Jesus, his son. All the security that that brought into a relationship with God as a child means you're safe with him forever. All the love that God feels for Jesus is now lavished on you, Christian, if you're his child. And what a status that is. I once talked to a woman who struggled all through uh, school. She wasn't that academic and struggled with dyslexia. And every school report said something like this, C plus could do better. C plus. Maybe B minus on a good day. Could do better, could try harder. And she said, you know what? I tried hard all the time and I was never better than a C plus. What this text says is that Jesus Christ comes to give you the right to become a child of God. Better than C plus. A star star. All the way. Now, currently, there are 12,000 unclaimed estates in England and Wales. Every year, people die, a lot of them, and they leave no will, and there's no known relatives. And the fortune is held for a while in, an, in a kind of holding tank. And then after a number of years, their fortune in this country passes to the crown. Every year, millions of pounds is unclaimed and passes to the crown. Did you know that? Because the heirs didn't know about the opportunity to claim it. It could be you. But you know, there's one birthright, one inheritance that you now know about. If you're a Christian here today, it is up to you to claim it. Jesus Christ has given you the right to become a child of God. So Christian friend, are you living in the light of your birthright? Are you claiming your rights? The authority that Jesus gives you to go to God as your father, to be his child. Are you relating to God as though you are his child? Or are you relating to him in some other way? You know what we naturally do? We naturally relate to God as a stranger. Or we relate to him as though we are a slave. For many years, there were two things that I prayed all the time. If you could have heard a recording of my prayers... For those years, it would have been very dull because the same two prayers were repeated like a drumbeat over and over again. Lord, forgive me. And Lord, help me. Two prayers thudding like drumbeats through my entire spiritual experience for years and years and years. Lord, forgive me. I've sinned again. I've messed up again. Lord, help me. I need more strength to try harder this time. Do you know what's wrong with those prayers? Well, on one level, there's nothing wrong with them, but they are completely deficient and inadequate because they're not the prayers of a child of God. Can you see the problem? That's not entering the presence of God as a loving father who wants to see you and welcome you. And when I finally began to grasp, after years and years, what it was meant to be loved by God as a child of God, I was able to pray, Father, thank you. Thank you that you want to see me. Thank you that I didn't have to earn my way to come into your presence today. 
Thank you that I'm coming before you as somebody who is clean, pure, and right with you, and that your heart is beating with affection for me. Thank you. And, Father, I love you. That's what children say. They say it all the time. They say it thoughtlessly. I love you. So how are you relating to God today, Christian? Jesus, the true light, the light who was rejected and received by some, who's been revealed to us, has come in order to give you the right to become a child of God. So are you claiming your birthright? Do you relate to him as a kind of casual acquaintance, or do you relate to God as your father? Do you relate to him as you're just a religious person, a churchgoer, you're coming here today and then the rest of the week it all gets forgotten? Or do you relate to him as a child? When you have problems, are you praying? Do you go to God as your father? He came to give you the right to become a child of God. That's what the light gives. That's what Jesus Christ has achieved. And let me close by speaking to those of you here who are not Christians. You're, you're investigating. You're looking into the faith. We're so glad you're here. Let me close with a question for you. Speaking to you, uh, in light of what I've been saying to this morning, in light of what the Bible says here about Jesus being the light who comes to make us children of God, can I urge you to ask God for this relationship? Not to put it off, but to come to him in faith Say, Lord, I believe in your name. Make me your child. Will you do that? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, Father, we want to thank you today for what your word has told us, which we would not have dared to believe if it had not been revealed. That your only son, Jesus, came to this world. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us so that we could have the right to become your children. For those of us who've known you for a while, whether it's weeks or months or years, and have forgotten what it first felt like to approach you as a child, we're sorry. And we ask that you would kindle that love of a child in our hearts once again. And for those here who are still looking in, who today have maybe heard you speak to them clearly, for perhaps for the first time. I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would bring them in to fellowship with you, that you would bring them in to your kingdom, that you would transfer them from darkness to light, that they would be born again by your power today. Because we ask it for the fame and glory of Jesus. Amen.